I think one of the riskiest things you can do in life is not take any risks. Uh, because if you never take any risks, you end up with, uh, you know, maybe you don't fulfill, you know, your, your, your potential. Right? I agree. Um, so I think taking risks is super important. Making hard decisions, you know, that's a, that's a very common expression. Um, hard choices, easy life. Easy choices, hard life. So, you know, if something's not working out, make the change quickly. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, uh, CEO, founder of SaaStock. Uh, delighted to be uh, joined uh, today, uh, or rejoined, um, uh, because he's been on the podcast before, uh, a few years back, uh, by Nick Franklin, who is the CEO and founder at Chartmogul. Uh, welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me, Alex. Great to be here yeah, again. Good to, good to have you on the podcast. I think, I, I want to say, I don't know, last time you were on the podcast, you were in Korea also. You're still uh, in Korea. Um, tell us, uh, like, why, uh, why Korea? Why, why are you there? Uh, what's, what's the best thing about it also? I'm just curious. Why am I here? So, I mean, here is sort of family reasons, uh, personal reasons. That's the initial yeah. reason for coming here. Uh, you know, uh, family and my daughter is half Korean and these kind of things. And we, we, we thought that be a, be a change from Berlin where we have an mm -hmm. office. And now we have an office here in Seoul as well for the last four years. Uh, this yeah. is it. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting in um, here in Gangnam and uh, Korea. The best thing about Korea, I think um, it, it, it's very kind of well run from, you know, the kind of the physical landscape in terms of the infrastructure, the convenience. It's very modern. I mean, if you've ever been to like Singapore, um, you probably know what I mean. But Singapore is like a city state. So you kind of, you know, a modern city state. But Korea is like, you know, an entire, you know, like a, a full on country uh, and all the, you know, it's just kind of very, very functional. Everything sort of works. Um, and, th and that's a nice, that's a nice uh, kind of change from Europe and the US is kind of like the software is good, but the uh, uh, infrastructure is a little bit dysfunctional, that kind of thing. So I, I think here that's kind of inspiring. Um, lots of construction, uh, new projects, like they just extended the subway line over there and new, new stations open. And it's, it's just kind of like normal. That's that kind of thing is just kind of normal. Um, so yeah, I, I quite like Asia for the, that reason. It's like no matter where you live in Asia, there's usually a lot of construction going on, a lot of new stuff happening, a lot of change, and uh, it just kind of makes it kind of interesting, especially from you know founders are generally people who like to live in kind of places where you know that aren't super stagnant. I guess like my hometown is Oxford in England. And it's like nothing changes. You go back there. It's kind of nice to visit my family. Nothing's changed. It's exactly the same as it was uh, literally when I when I was a kid growing up in Oxford like 30 years ago. It's exactly the same. Uh, but um, uh, that was fine for the first like, you know, 18 years. Uh, but I, I definitely like to live. Berlin was also, I mean, for Europe, as Europe goes, Berlin was also fairly um, dynamic. Especially, well, definitely as Germany goes, you know, there's still some... Uh, construction and big projects happening in Berlin, although just not on the same scale as you find in, in Asian cities. So that's that's one, that's one big thing I like about Korea. There's lots of other things, you know, the food is great. 
Uh, there's like no crime. Yeah. Like, well, that's that's obviously like an exaggeration. Yeah. Everywhere has crime, such a big city, but th- there isn't the kind of crime that um, would affect like me personally, like in terms of like uh, violent or, or robbery or things like that. It's very very safe, um, so it's quite nice. Uh, without just don't, you know, just, I just don't even think about those yeah. things uh, living here. Yeah. So that's quite nice. So, yeah, so there's there's a bunch of advantages and. Yeah, of course, there's always disadvantages to, to places, sure. but I won't get into those because I don't like. I don't want to be no. a foreigner who lives in, in place and moans about it. <laughs> no worries, no worries. And then for, for those that don't know you, Nick, um, you know who is Nick Franklin? Who am yeah. I? Oh, well, in terms of the the, the job, well, like you, you, you as a person, <laughs> and uh, and and yeah, what do, what do you do? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think I have a few like hats that I wear. Right, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a, a you know, I have an individual who likes to has my own hobbies, like to go to gym and hang hang out with my friends, go for beer, and then I'm I'm a CEO and founder of a company, right? So there's a few different hats, <laughs> but yeah, I think for this podcast, mo- mostly interested about the, the 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 work stuff. So yeah, like I'm I have been working in B2B SaaS for like 14 years. Uh, so the first five of those years were at Zendesk, joined very early. Uh, worked five years at Zendesk for, as their head of their EMEA um, region out of London, and then uh, three years uh, nearly as their head of their Asia region out of um, Manila, where Zendesk has a very large office now, a few hundred people, I think. Um, so I ran that office. I, well, I opened that office, created that office for Zendesk. So it's mostly an international expansion for Zendesk for the first five years in, that I was in SaaS. Um, kind of first in Europe, then in Asia. And then I, I, but I always wanted before Zendesk, I was a product manager and I always wanted to get back into product because uh, I, I really like, that's what, that's something I'm passionate about is, is product designing and building good products, trying to find kind of simple solutions uh, to complex problems. So like, uh, you know, well-designed, well-crafted products is, is, is kind of something I enjoy. Um, that whole process of, you know, invention and, iteration and design and, and then putting it in front of the user and then getting the users to um, tell you that you know actually use it and tell you they like it and stuff like that it's really it's a great kind of feedback um, if, if it work when it works it's awesome basically so I guess sort of I want to get back to to that to building stuff to making stuff and also I, I guess I was sort of ambitious to try and be a founder and see if I can make it work I tried a couple of times before um, in the past just but never really went all in because i could kind of like maybe i didn't have full conviction that these ideas were really the bet you know really it um so yeah after zendesk i i I quit my job um and uh uh started this company chart mogul went all in on it uh moved to berlin uh for about four and a half years uh in berlin and then i've been here now four years so it's been about eight and a half coming on nine years running this business, uh, which is ChartMogul. ChartMogul does, uh, it's a subscription analytics platform uh, for, B2- we sell to other B2B SaaS companies and some consumer subscription businesses too. So, you know, companies like Whereby um, or Typeform, or there's a whole, there's over a thousand, a thousand customers. Yeah, you, you, you named two point, point nine customers, customers there, uh, important. Point nine portfolio uh, companies. I got a website. I'll pick. I'll pick customers that have, have definitely given us permission to use their uh, their their name. It's, the best. it's usually the best way. Pitch, teamwork, buffer, 
hot jar. Uh, so it's like, like, these it's are so like nice. Yeah, definitely. And, and sure, I mean, we've been in business a while. Yeah. So, I yeah, think you've been um, in business the same time as uh, a SaaS, roughly sort of eight years, uh, right? And, right. Um, Right, and I think we were your very first sponsor at, at Sascon uh, and these kind of things. Correct, uh, in, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, for for uh, I, I think for all SaaS stocks until this year so far, um, but um, yeah. So like, what, but you you left Zendesk to to create Chart Mogul. Like, obviously, you love building product, but like, how did you, you you know come up with the idea? Like, why did the world need this product? Well, on, when I first started it, I thought um, I was I was just brainstorming different ideas for what might be useful, and I was thinking maybe something around analytics for customer service, or you know something for managing uh, sales teams, or I was just trying to think of different ideas, and then I kind of started thinking about revenue, uh, recurring revenue analytics. Uh, we measured some stuff internally using um, a kind of general BI product, and I always found the user experience kind of a little clunky and unempowering, I guess. You know, you couldn't really answer your own questions uh, from the data. And uh, it only updated like once or twice a day. And I thought, well, this seems a little clunky. And I just felt if I make something that was analytics or BI, business intelligence, but that was really tailored for subscription businesses, um, you know, measuring things like monthly recurring revenue, churn rate, retention, lifetime value, be able to filter that by region, you know, visualize in different ways and do different things with that data, um, that we could create a really solid user experience and have it be like real time. So, uh, you know, just a really great user experience and real time. And I, I just felt there's probably enough um, subscription on SaaS businesses out there. But this is, this is kind of, you got to think this is like 2013, 2014. So, ten, you know, a long time ago now, nearly 10 years. And, um, it wasn't obvious at that time that there would be enough SaaS businesses to build a big business, but I thought there's probably enough to build at least a small business. But luckily what happened is we launched and then at, you know, when we launched the SaaS and subscription business was sort of growing at the same time as we were growing and Stripe was growing at the same time as we were growing. And so was ChargeBee and Recurly and the whole ecosystem. So I guess we sort of had some good timing in terms of, uh, the growth of the industry uh, with our launch date as well. Um, so, yeah, that that's uh, where the initial and, kind of... And fast forward to out. now, so what data can you share behind the company? So, like, you know, can you share any kind of revenue metrics, how much you've raised, like how many people? What, what do you think is interesting for the audience? Yeah, so we're about, we're about 73 people now uh, globally. Uh, we're profitable, um, you know, and... Uh, but a thin, a thin margin of profit. Mm -hmm. We just reinvest everything. Um, I don't, we won't share our revenue, but we have, um, you know, well over a thousand uh, paying customers and another thousand uh, active free customers mm -hmm. who are, we have a free plan. Basically, if you make less than $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue, uh, Child Mobile is completely free and yep. you can just use it. So we have a, a lot of companies using that free plan as well. Um, and then, yeah, what else? Um, uh, in terms of how much we only raised uh, some seed money, basically uh, we raised three point seven million dollars of seed money, um, and the last time we raised was about six years ago, I believe. Um, so, it, yeah, in the first like sort of two and a half, three years, we we raised uh, that money um, from a group of a couple of VCs and a group of angels, about five angels, um, and um, 
Yeah, since then we just decided to get profitable and uh, we were mostly in Berlin, but we shifted to a sort of hybrid remote model uh, about a year before the pandemic, mm-hmm. which turned out to be good, good timing, uh, mostly just luck, really. Um, on, the, yeah. on the hybrid remote model then, um, sort of nice segue into that, because that's kind of like, I think a lot of companies have adopted that, maybe a little bit struggling uh, with that in, in some ways to, uh, to really try and make it sort of work. Um, yeah, what tips have you got, and, and, and like, what what are the what are the challenges, and what what are the good things that you see like within your organization for making that work? I think I think there's only I guess this, the two biggest challenges are the you know if people all, never see each other in real life because they're so far apart, um, it's hard to create a kind of camaraderie and some energy, some sort of energy where it's like yeah we can do this and kind of you you know people. People, when they're all together in a team, you know, they, they have, they kind of energize each other, right? And motivate each other. And that can be a little bit infectious if you're in that environment. And it's tough to create that environment if you're not, if, if people never see each other. Uh, they just care less, I guess, you know, so about each other and they're isolated. And it's like, you know, it's easy then to be like, you know, not, you know, maybe, you know, your family's there because you're at home or whatever. And okay, it's like, Six, five, six o'clock. Let's let's go spend time with the family, which is the advantages of remote as well. But I think if you did when you do have everyone in the same room, it does create a certain energy uh, that you know is, is hard to is, is hard to maintain the momentum and that energy remotely. You can do it. It just requires a bit more effort. You know, you got to be pretty like in there in Slack. Got to you know do more meetings uh, maybe, and you kind of got to con- you know kind of push people or, or kind of get get an you know, you can kind of do it, but it's just a bit harder than if you have everyone in the same room, you know, uh, where you, okay, let's go, let's go grab lunch and then get back into this. You know, it's kind of, um, it's, it's a bit, um, it's a bit different. So I think there's kind of that aspect. And then uh, the other aspect is, is like time zones. Um, and you can solve for the time zone part by just being disciplined about where you hire people. Like, um, so, you know, we don't really do any R&D uh, in North America, but we do have a bunch of people in North America. So we have in Canada, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 people doing customers, uh, success, sales, account management, customer support, um, things like that. Um, and, but you know, our R and D is in Europe and in, in Asia. So, but mostly in Europe. Um, so, so we kind of like that. And then the time zones aren't, aren't so bad. Uh, for collab- collaboration because you know there's only like um, but yeah it, it would be hard to work with like people in the east coast to Korea for doing product development it wouldn't really work so I think time zones and distances and, and kind of and you know people get lonely as well so they kind of want to have it so yeah I mean we, we do have three offices we have an office here in Seoul in Berlin and Toronto so people live near the office and come in and we, we kind of here in Korea, we kind of coordinate and say, let's go to the office, like maybe on Wednesday or whatever. So you're, you're not full time uh, in the office. You're doing a little bit work from home, a little bit in the office. Uh, twice, twice a week, week. Yeah. you know, maximum three times a week. Yeah. But yeah, usually around twice a week, come into the office and we try to time it. So we, we go in when everyone else goes in so that we can all have yeah. like lunch together. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
You, you, you mentioned sort of earlier um, uh, about the, the competitors in the space. Um, I, I think you used the word capitulated or sort of like disappeared a little bit. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, bare metrics, um, I, I think they, they, they were sort of like early, um, you, you know, in the space. They, they sold for four million in cash, uh, Josh Pigford there. Um, uh, I think he's doing something new at the moment. Uh, Profit World sold last year for 200 million. Um, so now it's just kind of like chart moguls, the only really kind of like independent, uh, you, you know, uh, I guess kind of SaaS metrics uh, platform. Um, do you feel like the last man standing sort of now? Like how does, what are your thoughts on the competitors kind of like selling and how is this, has this benefited you, chart mogul, in, in any way within the market? I don't know uh, how, how it's benefited, if, it, if it's benefited us or not in terms of their exits. Um, uh, I think I think Bare Metrics was clearly in a, a bit of a tough spot in terms of um, they were being maybe squeezed um, at the low end by uh, ProfitWell and Stripe's internal analytics um, being both being free. Um, and so they weren't much differentiated from that and they were charging for their product. Um, and then at the, high, at the high end, we were very differentiated, um, you know, with like, I think on our team, we have something like 37 engineers. Um, I think Biometrics today only has like four engineers uh, from what we see on their on their website. So the difference in ability to <laughs> do R and D and like build out features and functionality compounds of that over many years, and it was just like such a it was just such a distance in terms of functionality. So if you're going to pay if you need advanced functionality, then you, you pay for it. And Char Mogul's there. We but we also had a free tier as well. So I think it was just like they, they would, it was just hard for them to find a place in the in the market, um, given the competitive um, environment they were in, um, you know, and they hadn't raised lots of money, and, and you know, so it was hard for them to like uh, counter counter that, even though it's a nice product, uh, and Josh is not a great guy. Um, so I think that was probably uh, seemed like a sensible move uh, there to to sell to to Zenon private equity um, company. And I mean, uh, you know, you can see that their, their metrics are public and it hasn't been going so well um, in terms of they have the, the subscriber count is, is going is going down as far as I can see. Um, ProfitWell is a di different one. I think, I think uh, this seems to, I mean, ProfitWell were, were, you know, they weren't just uh, competing with us. They had a free, the free analytics product, but they also had a consulting company where I think I don't know, maybe half or most of the revenues came from, I'm not sure. Um, and so I think that was more strategic for Paddle and um, Christian and Patrick being friends and a well, well-timed acquisition mm -hmm. in terms of the price of, of yeah. <laughs> definitely paid a premium. Although probably the, uh, a lot of that was stock, which is, which is probably given the, the market has probably reduced in value, but either way, good, it was a good outcome for yeah. them. In terms of has it helped us, I don't know. I mean, probably ProfitWell's focus will be more Paddle-centric over time because um, they're now part of Paddle, which is a larger company that does billing software, uh, or sort of merchant of record type plus mm -hmm. billing, like plus billing software. They do quite a lot of stuff, Paddle. Um, so, you know, maybe that will be good for us because we, I mean, 
I think there is a paddle integration with Chartmogul, not the, not the one that we, we haven't got one, but I think there is one or two out there, uh, third party, but we don't really make um, significant, any significant revenues from paddle customers. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that helps, you know, have less competition in non-paddle yeah. ecosystems. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a big... Our, we our main competitor, honestly, like if we ever lose a real deal, like a, a real, when I say a real deal, you know, paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars or more, um, or or lose a deal, like lose a, a paying customer, yep. um, it's never to one of the startup competitors. It's never to to Metrics or Profitable. It's always to the internal data science team. Always, always, always. Um, it, so our main competitor is really like build versus buy. So we have to be like convince, you know, that, the, you know, it's worth it's worth buying a subscription analytics platform and not building this out yourself using a data warehouse, a bunch of scripts, BI front end like Looker or, or, or Tableau or something. So that's always for us the real competition uh, where we where actually it really um you know, if, if it is a large deal, that's where the companies, what companies are thinking about. Um, should, should we use Charmogul or should we build this out and maintain internally? Um, so a lot of our feature development has been about, over the last two or three years, has been about making our product complementary to a traditional data stack uh, versus, you know, an, is it Charmogul or the data side, the data stack, or is it Charmogul and the data stack? And we realize it's Charmogul and the data stack. So we, we use... We have a data science team at Charmogul. You know, they use uh, Snowflake on the data warehouse side. Well, we have we have a couple, but and then they, we use like preset um, dashboarding and segment for a lot of the piping of data. And we use Charmogul, so we have like all these things kind of work together and do different functions within the company. So I think we're kind of happy with our setup, and we kind of advocate that. You know, if you're you know a SaaS business doing sort of like three to three to 3 million to sort of 50 million ARR, this is a really good stack for you. And, um, so you, um, and we've also, yeah, no, and given the, the competition of being uh, acquired, and I read, I think I read yesterday that there's like 1.3 trillion in dry powder in private equity kind of waiting to uh, be deployed. So I think, you, you know, M&A market's going to kind of heat up. Like if, uh, and I'm sure they do come knocking, like 73 people, profitable, Maybe fifteen to eighteen million ARR, something like that. Um, you, you know, like, have you have you got a number? Kind of like eight years in, like, is, are you long on on chart mogul or like, you know, if, if somebody comes in with a two hundred million offer, you, you know, are you going to say yes and go on to the next thing? I mean, I think I think one one thing that you know we we just spent the last year and a half building a second product. We didn't we didn't actually talk about yeah. that yet, but. Um, we, we've also just released in, in April, like two months ago, uh, two and a half months ago, we just released a CRM mm -hmm. product. So we're now getting into the CRM market. Um, we've started to get our first customers for that, getting our first, we got, we've also got a free tier. So the first three CRM seats are free. And it's the first CRM in the world that's tailor-made for B2B SaaS companies. So we think there's a ton of like, and it's fully integrated into our subscription analytics platform. So there's a ton of like, benefits to having uh, the CRM and the subscription analytics platform being in the same system because then you get the entire you get the pre-purchase journey like they went where did they discover you like was it 
for you? Did they, did they download a white paper? Did they sign up for a free trial? And then, you know, through the, and then was it when, when they became qualified, the salesperson creates an opportunity or maybe they self-served. Uh, they went through the free trial process they went, or they went through a sales cycle, then they purchased. And then we have all the MRR history, you know, expansion revenue over time. Maybe they downgrade, maybe they churn, maybe they add a second product, maybe they reactivate. So we have the entire journey all the way from like, you know, very, very beginning uh, all the way through to the, all the subscription lifecycle stuff that we've been doing for, for many years. So part of the reason we've really expanded our engineering team, I think it's almost 40 people, uh, is so we can launch and maintain and grow two, two products at the same time. And we, we think because we're the only platform out there that has this all this data in one single platform, we can actually do a lot of unique stuff. Uh, we can already do that. You can you can do really cool like analysis of like seeing how your self-service business is comparing to your uh, sales-led business. And there's a whole bunch of reporting you just can't do in another CRM, you just like it would be maybe you could get Salesforce to mm. do this, I, like with a lot of work, a lot of effort, uh, but or you could, but it would be really hard. Um, whereas ours is just like literally, you just click on it and it's there because we have everything in one place. So we think this is going to be really, really interesting for for us as a business. Um, it's just the beginning. CRM is a huge market, and B two B SaaS companies, although it's a vertical. We believe it's a it's it's one of the biggest um, users of, of kind of yeah. sa- uh, CRM yeah. uh, as well. It's, it's a big it's a big chunk of the CRM yeah. market. So we think that we can create you know the very best, and we have created the very best c- c- CRM in the world for B two B SaaS. And we kind of you know we have this existing established um, presence and mar- you know product and customer base in subscription analytics in SaaS metrics, and we're going to use that to uh, push into the CRM and, and, and do both. And you, you could be able to, you know, just buy the subscription analytics from us, that's fine. Uh, you know, some people are very happy with Salesforce um, and or, or HubSpot or whatever, uh, or you can buy both. And, and if you buy both, you get some kind of synergy uh, there as well. So in terms of, you know, us exiting, it's like, we don't feel like that's something that we're really thinking about. We're still founder-led, yep. me. And uh, we're still excited and we still uh, have a lot of stuff to build. Um, like, you know, we've been talking to people that are pretty excited about using our, our CRM, yeah. but they're like, but we also need to have tasks and we need to have email sequencing and we need to have uh, batch emailing. We don't have, we're going to launch tasks in the next couple of weeks, but like, you know, so we're kind of full, full throttle there. And we're also full throttle on subscription analytics. There's still a lot to yeah. build. So just don't think it's like something where, you know, I, th- I think for us an exit, uh, would be like, um, you know, if, if, if somehow we're not having fun anymore, there's nothing to innovate on anymore. You know, it's just a question of like, uh, you know, and then it's like, well, uh, you know, if we're not having fun, there isn't, there isn't new stuff, more stuff to build. There's, there's no more innovation happening, but that's like the furthest it could be from the truth, from, from the reality today, because we're innovating at the fastest pace we've ever been going at like every single day we release to production and the list of like prs that are getting like uh pushed out is like so long every day and it's like so the rate the rate of improvement to the product is it has accelerated so i feel like you know uh you know you never say never you know like you you know who knows if if you could really get uh, an offer you just couldn't refuse but you know i don't feel like we're in that kind of market now 
at the moment where people are just throwing around offers that the founders can't refuse uh, at this at this point in time. Yeah. So I just feel at this point in time, it's just like focus on building the business and uh, create it into the biz- into the into the global company uh, and brand that it has the potential to become. Because yeah, I mean we're doing okay, but it's still you know 73, 74 people. Um, that's still not a, a big a big business, you know. So I think we can become a mid more of a mid market company uh, over time uh, and get into. Uh, so ad- adding the second product, so. like it's not necessarily I don't know in- increased your your TAM, but your revenue ability because you're, you're still selling to B two B SaaS companies. The market is like in terms of who you can sell to, it's kind of the the, the same, but you've got a different product that you can sell. Sell to them, right? Well, well isn't doesn't that increase the TAM? Isn't that it? Doesn't that? I mean, or, or is the definition of TAM just the well, companies? Yeah, uh, I, I guess. Yeah, the, the, ta- the in terms of the number of companies, but I guess the the, the from the the revenue ability, there's more opportunity for you. Yeah, right. We can we can do more. Yeah. We can do more and provide yeah. more to the same and, uh, companies that would be. And, s- and was it sell, um, as you now are a multi-product uh, uh, company? And, and 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 let's sort of talk about that. Uh, was this something that uh, your customers said that they wanted, or like, how did you identify here the problem? Like, why did you build the the CRM in particular? You could have built perhaps you know other things, uh, but why the CRM? Yeah. Like, your customers said they wanted it. You saw the problem. It's good to understand the uh, the so, process there. So it's a few things. Um, we we've had a, we've had features in Charmogul for like six six, seven years that look a bit like a CRM already. So you could you could create different customer lists, right? Lists of customers with and select what columns you want and the sort order and the segments and the filters and save that and share it with your team. And like open one of the customers in that list and there's a customer profile with all this information. You can add a note to that customer and just really write some information about the customer on there. Uh, you couldn't email them. You couldn't log a call. You couldn't add contacts and create opportunities and these kind of things. Um, but you could do a lot of the baseline stuff. You know, you could add custom fields to a customer record and add custom field data. And that all had uses for subscription analytics, like being able to do segmentation and filtering for better, in, you know, deeper insights from the data. But it also is the very exact same set of features that a CRM has. Um, so. Customer, because of that, we were naturally using Chartmogul a bit like a CRM, despite also having a CRM as well. Um, and our customers were also doing the same thing. There were some, a lot of them also was kind of adding notes, and especially the B two B ones. The B two C not so much, uh, but because we do also service consumer. But the B two B ones were also doing this. And so, you know, we always had this idea: hey, this is a little bit like a CRM. Maybe we could do that. Uh, but you know, the timing wasn't right. Um, uh, the timing wasn't right. The team wasn't big enough. We weren't strong enough uh, yet. You know, the, you know, going back 2015, 2016, uh, you know, it just what wasn't the right timing. You, I think the, the core thing for us has been that the timing was right in that to, to do this, to, to go into a very, very competitive market and crowded market, uh, we have to reach a certain scale in our niche vertical of subscription analytics and dominate that that niche and we believe we are definitely the market leader <laughs> in subscription analytics um, like uh, you know in terms of the, the number of paying customers and, and 
revenue and all these things. Um, so we wanted to be the market leader in subscription analytics and have a bit and have enough money, uh, you know, to be able to have the team big enough to to comfortably support both. But we're not having to take people off of one thing to support the other. So, uh, and that really meant getting close to forty uh, full-time engineers, and we have also uh, five or six product managers as well. Um, so, uh, you know, you, we had to get that capacity there, where we can really make rapid progress in all parts of the platform and for all products um, at the same at the same time, where no, nothing's under nothing's underserved. Um, so that was that I think was the timing part. Um, and just also just the whole go-to-market functions and all, just having enough people in order to take on multiple products uh, without it feeling like a distraction um, to the to the team, where we can really execute on, you know. So and it, it is possible, but I think if you're small, a small early stage startup, one product is definitely the way to go. Um, but yeah, at some scale, uh, it does make sense to be multi-product, and we did actually try it long time ago with revenue recognition it wasn't the right product we didn't have enough people to support both it was distraction and we ended up shutting it down um but and we learned a lot about trying to be multi-product and we, we made the mistake of doing it too early and then several years passed and we're like we think it's actually time again to be multi-product and it turned out i think we were right i think i'm very confident it's the right decision for the business and we're having fun is, is there fun with it as well yeah is, is, uh, that's definitely important is, is there like a, a benchmark that you see in SaaS with say like if you get to this uh, number of you, you know of revenue x amount of revenue that you should you know look at becoming multi-product um I, I thought like in my head it's sort of like near like 50 million or something like that but it could be uh could be lower but uh, we're, we're, not at, we're not at 50 yeah. we're not at 50 million I would tell you yeah. that um otherwise that would be um very profitable um but yeah I, I i think it's more about does it make sense like do you see an opportunity that's also big enough um you know like do you have enough people and the capacity that it's not a distraction so i think i think it's it's about having a few different things in place there i, I don't necessarily think uh it's um I think it would be different for each for each company. How has it been received? How has it been received? And I, I guess kind of with with two products, like how does your marketing change as well? Like, um, are you doing separate campaigns mm. for the CRM and separate for subscription? So, or? so we're not we're not we're not marketing the CRM much yeah. like yet because we're kind of like we just in April released version yeah. one. Okay. And then we kind of like for the last three months, we've only been doing a little bit of uh, adjustments and improvements. And we feel like this is a long-term play. It's not something where, you know, day one, we're going to have something that's competitive with HubSpot or Salesforce or whatever. Uh, it's going to take time. So I think probably by, so when you go to our website, it's still very much Charmogul is a subscription analytics platform. And, but, you know, in the products drop down, there'll be something about CRM. Um, but we are probably by next year, the CRM will feel will be mature enough and where, you know, we can start to do dual marketing and, you know, on the web, the website will, you know, the homepage will be like, we are subscription analytics and CRM. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll start to, uh, you know, do, do multi, you know, campaigns and, and seg segmented campaigns, things like that. Um, but yes, yeah, so far we've still mostly kept the sales and marketing 
um, focused on subscription analytics. And also most of the engineering team is still on subscription analytics. It's just, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, maybe there's six or seven people uh, who are on full time on, on CRM at any one time out of, you know, but then there's another 30 people that are on subscription analytics because, you know, when you've got an existing product, um, there's a lot of obviously and existing customers there you've got to obviously maintain. So how's it been received? I think uh, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, you know, always there's a couple of, there's usually always a couple, you can't please everybody, right? There's always a couple of folks uh, on Twitter, right? what are you doing? Why didn't you get into more, you know, accounting or, or measuring expense, you know, connecting to our bank account and measuring expenses and, and kind of financial ERP type type of stuff. Um, and I realized that, um, you know, that could have been one direction to go in. It's just, we felt after, you know, we explored all the directions we could go and we thought through this very carefully. Um, and we think this is the right direction to go into where Chamo can really become kind of the, the commercial center for, for B2B SaaS company. Um, and you know, that's what we're, what we're going to do. But yeah, I would say 99% super positive. People are kind of excited, kind of interested. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with people. People are not happy with their, with their CRMs. Like that has been the, uh, overwhelming learning over the last, uh, couple of months is that people are not happy with their CRMs and there's a real appetite for something new. Um, and so a lot of it's, you know, some people have already made the jump and started using us. And some people are like, yeah, we love, we love the concept. We love having everything all in one, you know, it makes total sense, but we need X, Y, Z feature you, that you're missing right now. Uh, and we're like, okay, give us six months. Let's have a chat again in six months. And I think, it, you know, one to two years, uh, we'll, we'll have a really, really compelling offering even for mid-sized um, SaaS companies, um, but it, you know it's it's a long it's a it's a long-term project. I think um, still you know ninety-nine point something percent of the revenue is going to be from subscription analytics for probably through the rest of the year. Uh, let's see, um, but I think the over time you know uh, we'll we'll start to see. I, I'm not really focused on revenue with this. We're, we're really focused on usage data, so getting as many people as possible using the CRM. Uh, because we have a free tier, yep. so we just want usage, usage, usage. If we can get that those dynamics really strong, then the revenue will uh, will follow over time. So very cool. Well, congrats on launching that second product. So I'm going to move into the uh, <clears throat> the quickish fire round uh, now, Nick. So uh, just conscious of time. Uh, so um, what okay. one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? In my career, um, I think uh, I think uh, taking obviously like starting a business. Uh, when I had a comfortable job mm -hmm. was, was felt like I'm uh, very risky. Um, and, you know, there was a chance that it, it wouldn't work out and that, you know, I would blow through a bunch of my savings and then I'd have to go back to try and get another job. Um, and, oh, it turned out that, well, it was the start of a huge tech boom over the last nine years. So probably getting another job wouldn't have been as hard, that hard in the end. But, it, you know, it wasn't that clear when I, in 2014, I left uh, the, it was just going to be like this huge tech boom uh so it felt at the time very risky um but i'm glad obviously that i did it and it worked out so i think taking taking more risk and i think getting more comfortable with taking risk uh, i think i think one of the riskiest things you can do in life is not take any risks uh because if you never take any risks um you know you uh 
you end up with uh, you know maybe you don't fulfill you know your your, your potential. Right? I agree. Um, yeah. What you're capable of. So I think taking risks is super important. Making hard decisions. This you know there's a, there's a very common expression. Um, hard decision, hard choices, easy life. Easy choices, hard life. So you know if something's not working out, make the change quickly. Be it. It could be anything. You know, if it's if it's uh, an employee that's not working, you know, or, or whatever, or team members, you know, this kind of things. So it's like you don't want to. No one wants to do the hard, the, the unpleasant thing <laughs> of having these hard conversations. But sometimes it, it kind of improves things. Um, so I think, and I think learning to one big thing is when, when you start a company, um, lots of people give you advice, uh, and there's loads of advice on the internet. And so I think I, th- I, th- I think uh, over time you get good at um, learning to sort of just. Uh, trust your own inner voice, your own trust, your gut, and and kind of compartmentalize all the advice and be like, yeah, that's great, fine, and then just just take from it what you can versus letting it uh, letting it drive you. And I think a lot of founders, when in the first couple of years, they they often experience this where they're they're not hundred percent confident, and then there seems to be a lot of people out there that are very confident about how you should run a business and we'll give you lots of advice, <laughs> learning not to listen to it all and uh, just getting on with it um, and doing things your way uh, is really important. Um, but yeah, it often takes time, I guess, to build those. The, the, the speaking speaking of, of advice, what's the best advice you've ever received? <clears throat> well, uh, the best advice I've ever received. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> No worries. No worries. What about? I don't have. A, I, don't have I have to get back yeah. to. It. I don't have a good one off the top of my head. What a, my dad once told me: when in doubt about where you're going, just try to dress. Try to, if you're not sure if you should dress smart or dress casual. Always just dress smart. There's no downside. The worst thing that will happen is you'll be the smartest person in the room, and you know whatever. Uh, but if you're like dressed super casual and everyone's smart, anyway, that's just a yeah. silly thing. I just remember my dad once. Yeah, good advice. <laughs> that's good advice. So um, we'll, we'll take that. What about what's the hardest thing about being a multi-product company? Uh, I, I mean, we're I, I, the hardest thing about it. Um, I don't know. I think it's fun. I, I don't think it's that hard if you do it well. Um, it's it's obvious. The first time we tried it, we picked the wrong second product for us revenue recognition it couldn't it was hard to be productized um and in fact uh you know most RevRec is kind of made mostly just kind of custom implementations custom solutions it's hard it's a it's a it's a market it's it's a product domain that's hard to fully productize so you know whereas uh crm on the other hand is a proven uh productizable domain product domain where you don't you know people people are willing to just buy it off the shelf uh, solution. So I think it definitely, it's been nice. It's been a bit nice to choose our second product this time around is an existing proven product domain. So subscription analytics, we had to invent a lot of stuff because it wasn't really, it's, there was no existing market of subscription analytics. I mean, that sound might sound weird, but there, there wasn't like people were doing subscription analytics using Excel. Maybe they were building it custom uh, in their BI tool, etc. But there was, you know, there was Google Analytics. There was some, you know, product like amplitude or Kiss metrics, like for product usage analytics. But there was no subscription analytics, so we had to invent a lot of that stuff. And when you have to invent a lot of stuff, um, you kind of end up. It's hard to know what you should build, and you end up kind of 
going down the wrong path and having to kind of come, you know, tweak things and it's it just a bit harder. But if you kind of have a clear roadmap for what you need, like we're going to need an email client built into the customer profile. So you send and receive emails. We're going to need the ability to bulk edit customer records. You're going to need the ability to phone a contact from within the product, you know, so we need VoIP probably powered by Twilio. So it's just kind of like a roadmap uh, and you can be very clear early on. So I, th I think it's, 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 if you pick an existing product category, CRM probably makes doing a second product a lot easier. I think if you're going to try and just keep inventing new things, each product you come out with is definitely harder. But I guess, you know, Apple uh, do that successfully, um, sort of, or, or, well, maybe not, maybe a f better version of a phone. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, it's like, uh, but you know, some of them are fully new, new inventions. So it's yeah, anyway. Sorry. Well, Nick, we, we come to the end of the show. Where where can people find you online uh, and also find out more about ChartMogul and the new CRM product? Yes, yeah, so ChartMogul.com. Uh, that's easy. Uh, slash CRM probably. Um, and uh, online for me, it's uh, Nick underscore Franklin is my Twitter handle. So. Uh, yeah, twitter.com slash. Yeah. Just Nick underscore. Well, you're more active on Twitter than other social channels? I am, but I, you know, I think LinkedIn LinkedIn probably gets better engagement, yeah. but it's just not fun to post on yeah. LinkedIn. The experience of posting on LinkedIn is like not very pleasant. Yeah. And um, it's not a joyous, like it's not fun to browse the LinkedIn timeline. You just see all this like, you know, it's it's very super fit. It's very yeah. weird. Like it's very weird that people talk on LinkedIn. Whereas Twitter, it feels more authentic, more real, uh, and that's where I'm most active. But I feel like I feel like I should force myself to probably do LinkedIn as well. But I don't. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Nick Franklin, uh, CEO, founder of ChartMogul. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the the SaaS Revolution show uh, today, and uh, look forward to following the success of the the new CRM product. Thanks, Alex. Thanks so much. Nice nice to chat with you again. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSdoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.